Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. It's good to be with you today. I love coming to Coronado Island because it's my spiritual oasis. I love walking along the water. It's the place I come to hear from God. And today we get to do that together. As we open up the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going through the book of Ephesians, discovering what it's like to be God's people, his chosen race and royal priesthood, the people set apart to experience life in God's family, and then the people sent out to make an impact in the world. We'll be reading Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 14, and I invite you to follow along If you want to join with me, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Ephesians 3, sorry, Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 14. Want to make sure everyone's paying attention, including the pastor. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 14. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10 reads this way, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that are done in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. The word of the Lord. When Pastor John, my good brother, invited me to come and preach on this passage, I was looking at the verses right before about walking in light and being children of God and becoming the people of God. And then I opened up to verse 3, and it began with sexual immorality and covetousness. And I thought, Thanks, John. This is great. You're assigning me the tough passage while you run off to camp. But all joking aside, this is an important passage because I'm excited to talk about our life as believers really does shine forth based on what we do with our mouths, what we do with our wallets, and what we do with our bodies. And Paul doesn't shy away from talking about this. It's something that he's bold about. He says, if we're going to be different than the world, we need to stand out. He says that if we're sleeping, we need to awake. 
That can first refer to us as new believers where we're dead and come alive in Christ. But there also are some Christians that look like they're sleeping when they need to be awake. And it's hard sometimes to tell the difference between a dead person and a sleeping person. Am I right? Anybody else ever fall asleep and have anybody take a photo of you while you're asleep? And it's sort of blackmail material, right? Like, I don't want that to get out. I look like I'm really, really tired and maybe dead. And so Paul's saying we need a difference. People that are really alive in Christ, if they've been called out and transformed, they need to live differently so we can tell the difference. The light of God shines on the darkness. In youth ministry, I get to take kids to fun places, and Laser Tag and Haunted Houses are two places I've gone with students over the years, and sometimes it's possible to see black lights there. And some, I'll look in the mirror before I go, and I'll smile, and I look pretty good, I think, in the mirror, but then when I get under the black light, I start seeing all this stuff that I never knew was there before. I have cracks in my teeth I didn't realize I've got lint and stains on my clothing that looked great in regular light, but then when I got into the black light, it revealed a whole new level of transformation that was needed within me. I needed to go to the dentist and the laundromat after this event. But I didn't know that until I got under a certain type of light. So Paul's saying, let the light of Christ shine on you on these interior private places, talking about money and our mouths and our bodies are personal. Yet Paul says the light of Christ penetrates even there because he wants to transform us in our core because transformed people transform people. Hurt people hurt people. So whatever's going on inside of us, that's gonna have ripple effects throughout our community, throughout our family, throughout our whole life story God's asking, do we dare to let the light of Christ shine on us? Without coarse joking, without filthy talk from our mouths. What if there was a recording of everything that we said during the week between Sunday and Sunday? One of my friends actually got a pocket dial from his in-laws. Pocket dial just means accidental call. While they were talking about his wife and all the challenges they were having with accepting her. It was a difficult conversation, something they didn't want to have public. What if there was a broadcast of every thought and every word that we said during the week, if we had a screen above our heads that broadcast every thought and every word? How many of us would say, I need a savior? I would. I'm not just leading a discussion as the pastor. I would say, I need a transformation, because Jesus says, out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouth speaks. So we don't need an EKG or a heart monitor to find out what's going on inside of us. All we have to do is listen to what's coming out of our mouths. And sometimes we say things and we want it back right away. But it's hard to put toothpaste back in a tube once it's been squeezed out. I remember in church, I was fortunate to be raised in a Christian home, and we had visitor day. And there was a new girl in Sunday school, and she was really kind of rude. And she started telling all of these dad jokes. Oh, yeah, well, your dad this, your dad this, your mom this, your mom that. And I let it go, and I was trying to be polite and, and Christ-like, living out this verse. But then 
She said one more zinger and, and it hurt. So I looked back at her and I said, oh yeah? Well, I used to have clothes like that. And I pointed to her outfit before my dad got a job. And guess who walked into the Sunday school room to pick up their daughter at that very moment? Her dad. And he was, I didn't know it, in between jobs. I wanted those words back as soon as they left my mouth. And I had to say, God, work on my heart. Forgive me. I had to repent and apologize. Humans are the only species on earth that uses words. It's a unique attribute that God's given to us. We're made in his image. Monkeys can learn sign language and gang signs, but they can't use language and words. Whales can use harmonics to, to communicate, but they still don't have the power of words. There's something unique about us as image bearers of the creator that our words have internal power. We can look at someone and create something that wasn't there before, either for good or for ill. And Paul's saying, if we're going to be people of light, our tongues have to be transformed. When the prophet Isaiah had his encounter with God, one of the seraphim grabbed tongs from the altar, picked up a coal and touched his lips so he could speak different. When Peter had the encounter with Jesus after the miraculous catch of fish, he fell down on his, on his knees after this was amazing haul of fish and he said, please get away from me. I'm a man of unclean lips. My mouth is giving me away over and over. I need to be made new. And so Paul's saying for us, if we're going to be children of the light, we need to let the light transform our hearts so that our mouths are shining encouragement and joy. When people spend time with you, are they encouraged afterwards or do they walk away defeated and deflated? We're all shining out of our mouths what's in our hearts. And Paul's asking us today, do we dare to be transformed right here? We have this unique power as human beings to use our words forever and ever it can be changed. If I say something like, I love you, you know, kids I work with have grown up and never have heard those words, I love you, I'm glad you were born, you matter, there's purpose in your life. Those things take about three or four seconds to say, 1001, 1002, 1003, but it can have a whole lifetime or an eternity of impact. Can I tell you where I turn when times get hard? May I pray with you? May I introduce you to Jesus? 1001, 1002. 1,003. Those are all short sentences that we can use to unpack and open up years and decades and even centuries of impact if we let God transform our words by transforming our heart. Paul also talks about not being covetous in this passage. All these commands, by the way, are for our own good. Sometimes when we listen to God's law, it feels like it's restrictive and it's, it's oppressive and restraining us. But if I talk to my kid, I'm a foster dad. I've had seven little children that live with me. They've all been successfully reunited with their birth parents. But sometimes I have to look at a little kid and with love, I have to say, please don't play with your toys in the middle of Interstate 5 because it won't go well for you. It's a commandment for their good. And they might think that's restrictive, but it's a restriction that's keeping them from experiencing something I as a father don't intend for them to go through. So when 
Paul says, don't be covetous. He's not trying to rip us off or hold us back. He actually knows there's no recipe for contentment in covetousness. They asked John D. Rockefeller, the oil tycoon of oil tycoons, a billionaire with railroads and with oil before billionaires were a thing, and they're still a rare thing now. But back when he was a billionaire, it was unheard of. And they looked at him and they said, John, how much is enough? You know what his answer was? A little more. A little more is enough because we can drive Escalades and Rolades and Rolexes through our lives, and it won't fill up that hole in our heart that only God can fill. So Paul's saying, let's be a people filled to the fullness of Christ, because everything else is going to fall short. Everything else is going to leave us empty. C.S. Lewis says, if we follow any other God, we'll have an ever-increasing an ever appetite for an ever-diminishing satisfaction. So we just get hungrier and hungrier, like the ghosts from the movie Pirates of the Caribbean, where they would drink and eat, and you could see it just going right through their skeletons because it wouldn't fill them up. Paul's saying, don't covet because it's not going to fill you up. There's always going to be someone prettier, smarter, richer, more powerful, more popular. This is what I tell kids. So if you're trying to covet and find someone else, a little more is always going to be necessary because it won't be enough to feel the love and satisfaction and security of being accepted by your heavenly father. And that's what we have right now. We don't have to panhandle because we've got a home in heaven. We're, we don't have to perform for love because we've already been accepted. That's what lets us shine bright as children of light. What we do with our mouths, what we do with our wallets, shows who we really live for. Back when I started Urban Youth Collaborative, God really convicted me because I'm a guest preacher like this on Sundays, I was going around and preaching about the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it today, and God told me that, you know, you're preaching it well, you've got the petitions, but you've kind of prayed, give us this day our daily bread first in your life. Because God started showing me all these public high schools where kids need Jesus, and I had a good job as a youth pastor with a master's degree. Presbyterians do buildings and budgets well, and so it was a job with some life insurance, or some medical insurance, rather, and retirement. And I, I was 18 months into our marriage, and God was saying, do you dare to put the first petition first, which is, may your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your name be great, even before that. And then, give us this day our daily bread. A lot of us, as American Christians, me included, I was praying the first prayer, God, give me my daily bread, and then with my spare time and my spare change, I'll work on pursuing your kingdom and all these other things. And God said, what if we flipped it and you sought first the kingdom and its righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you as well? I don't say that I'm the hero of this story. I say that I'm somebody that God has been working on and calling me out to go after kids that need Jesus. But I've had to realize I've got to entrust my financial security to him. His kingdom first, and then I can't outgive God. Do we dare to lay our wallets and our lives and our mouths at the feet of Jesus? That's where the transformation happens. That's where the exhilaration happens. Watching God provide over and over again for myself, and now we have 33 other people that live by walking by faith and following God because We've stepped out in faith to follow him and prayed the Lord's prayer in order. 
his kingdom first. I'm hungry for his kingdom more than anything else, and I want to see my daily bread happen, but I'm going to trust him by following. He can follow the plan that he has for us. What we do with our mouths is transformative. What we do with our wallets shows that we're really satisfied in God and we're not competing with anyone else. We want to invest in eternity and see people's lives change forever. And what we do with our bodies is something that shows who we really live for and care about. This sermon will be PG-13 because I understand there aren't as many children here present as the second service. But it's dark in our society and in our public schools when it comes to sexuality. My son started Lincoln High School this fall and he went to his basketball physical and they said, if you need any birth control, either prophylactics or anything for the morning after, let us know and you don't even have to talk to your parents. We'll make sure you get what you need. It's a really wide open idea and there's, there's no bearings of light because it's so dark. When I go walking down along the water before the dawn, it's dark. But then when the stars come out, they shine brightly. The contrast between light and darkness is actually more vivid than ever because we can see the light breaking through. And as we stand as people of light in the dark times, it actually stands out more than ever before. Public schools will tell you that there's no right and wrong, you just have to make your own decisions. But the Bible tells us that sex is like spiritual superglue, and you're bonding two souls together forever. And so God's commandments for us with sexual morality is a commandment for us not to have our hearts broken. Because our public school curriculum will talk about avoiding pregnancy and avoiding disease, but there's no condom to protect us from a broken heart. And Paul's commandments here to live as children of light is commanding us to be whole in our bodies. If we ever bond ourselves together, if you take two pieces of paper with super glue and you fasten them together and then you pull them apart, part of that paper is going to be on the one sheet and part of that paper is also going to be on the other sheet. Once we're bound together, the two become one and it's permanent. But that's something, the soul tie is something our culture doesn't talk about. And Paul's saying, we have a better way of doing life. We have a better way of doing marriage. We have a better way of doing family. We need to shine brightly because the world's getting darker and darker. I watch kids who are just winging it in the darkness, walking around, just sort of groping for what's next. And I mean that in terms of walking in the dark, not knowing where to go next, reaching out because there's no one to guide them. They need the light of the sun to come up so they can see how to make their decisions, so they can see how to walk, so they can see the difference between right and wrong, because otherwise I've watched too many hearts break. There was a young girl at a conference who stood up after spending a week with God, and it was an open mic time at the end of this youth conference, and she could walk up to the mic, tap it, and she looked at her friends, and she just started to confess her life. And she said, I, I'm going to try to make this PG-13 for church. She said, I used to give myself to guys if they promised just to hang on to me for 30 minutes afterwards. And then she just started to bawl. And she just started to weep. 
And then she realized she found forgiveness in Jesus and she could start over. And that day was a new day for her. Her past was erased. We used to be darkness, now we're light. Once the sun comes up, you can't even remember the darkness. Once the sun pierces through, the darkness fades away. Light always wins. When we go into our bathrooms in the morning to look in the mirror and we flick on the light, the darkness immediately evaporates. The only time that doesn't happen is if you're reading a Harry Potter book where the darkness goes into the light bulb and the light bulb explodes. But in real life, spiritually, when the light of God's word, when the light of forgiveness, when the power of Christ, the resurrection power floods into somebody's life, it transforms us forever. And you don't even remember the darkness. I forget it's dark when the light's shining. And that's the power of following after Christ. He doesn't want our hearts to be broken. He wants our hearts to be whole. And he wants us to find the love that we're looking for. And there's only one lover that can satisfy our soul. That's God. Every other idol, every other option is going to leave us broken and empty. But Paul's saying, are there a group of people who want to live different? Who want to wake up? The call to wake up is an invasive call. Every time I've got a seventh grader, every morning it's an invasive disruption to get him up for school. It's, there's an outside force. There's an outside voice. There's, there's an action beyond himself calling him to something higher that he has to respond to. This is a very Presbyterian text. The initiative of God, the, the choosing and speaking of God, the commandment to wake up and live different. Are, th are there any snooze hitters in the room where the, the alarm goes off and you, you hit snooze a couple times, three times, four times? I had a friend in college who taped his alarm clock to the back wall so that he didn't accidentally just keep hitting snooze when he's half awake. He had to get up, and by the time he was over turning it off, his blood was flowing, he was moving enough, he could stay awake for the day. If we're not believers, the, the passage we read today is saying, wake up, it's time to live a new life. Just like Lazarus in the tomb, Jesus came to the tomb, didn't care how stinky or dead it was or how dark it was, and he said, roll away the stone. And he called Lazarus out by name. Come forth, be new. Not just a big mass text message to a group of people, it was an invitation by name to be different. And Lazarus came out. That's the call of conversion that we all need to have. But then there are some of us that are asleep in the light. Some of us that, if you look at our lives, we don't stand out enough. And the Bible says in this passage, whatever light shines on will be made visible. I talked about the black light in the haunted house. Shining light makes it visible. But anything that's made visible, this passage says, also becomes light. Isn't that an interesting double meaning? Light makes things visible. What's been made visible becomes light. That means if somebody has been resurrected and made new and stands out in their community, it's going to get people's attention. There are a group of kids at Coronado High School and Coronado Middle School that are getting the attention of others because they stand out. They're different. They, they shine in the darkness. God is using them, and they are now light because they've let the light of Christ shine on them. We don't make our own light. We're sort of like the moon. When we're aligned right, we're bright because we're reflecting the light of Christ. And we stand out. 
because the moon lets the sunlight reflect on it, it stands out in the sky. It's the brightest, biggest object in the darkness. And that's what we're called to do in our lives, to stand out, to be bold, to be awake, to let Christ shine on us. The cool thing about Christ shining on us is anytime he reveals something in our lives, we're not surprising him. My daughter loves to play hide and seek with me. When she was younger, we would go out at camps as I was speaking. And one time we were at Forest Home and there was this tiny little twig tree that was just about that wide and this tall. And she stood behind it as we're playing hide and seek. And she says, I'm hiding, Dad. And I'm looking at her going, you're pathetic. I can see you. <laughs> we're not confessing our sins to God because we're giving him information he doesn't already know. We're just saying, I need to be changed. I need to be aware of these things so that I can trade up for something better. I can trade a broken heart for forgiveness and security. I can trade a mouth that tears people down. Isn't it interesting we don't have to train kids in uh, bullying? We have to train kids in anti-bullying? Bullying comes naturally. We're good at that part. Our sin nature knows how to hurt with words, but God's saying, is there a group of people that have their hearts transformed so when we're around others, we're lifting them up with our words. We're letting them hear words of resurrection life because God's speaking through us. And a group of people that are crazy enough to trust God with their well-being, we can trust God forever and ever for eternity. But it's harder for me to trust God with my month financially sometimes. Am I the only one? God's going to somehow take all the ashes of my body when I've decomposed in a coffin or an urn. He's going to put me back together forever and ever. I can believe that. But somehow, walking by faith, seeking first his kingdom and trusting him for my daily bread by how I give sacrificially, ah, that's tougher for me. But I'm learning because every time I take a step of faith, he holds me. And anytime I fall, that's what I love about Peter walking out on the boat is Jesus said, come, walk out on the water. And when Peter had his eyes on Jesus, not the wind and the waves, he was able to do the miraculous and walk on water. When Peter looked at the waves instead, he started to sink, but Jesus just grabbed him and said, I'm going to make your faith stronger. And then Peter preached Pentecost sermons. Peter was the rock of the church. God walked with him as Peter trusted his life and his well-being to God. Jesus was able to change the world with 12 people that had their mouths and their wallets, and their bodies fully devoted to living a different way. Imagine what God can do with this congregation if we would let him have full reign over the most personal and intimate parts of our lives. He sees it all, he's made it all, and his best and his plan bring life to the fullest. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but God, through Jesus, has come to give us life to the fullest. When I speak, I want my words to bring life to the fullest. When I give, I want to take the money I can't keep and turn it into something that I'll never lose if I put it at, to work in God's kingdom for souls and faith that goes on forever. That's a good investment. That's a great rollover. We've all got that moment in time where we can decide to make our wallets be the light of the world. And with our bodies, the designer of true love knows what's best for us and the gift of intimacy with another is best and only lived out through God's plan. The designer knows how to make it work and we need to trust him. C.S. Lewis says, the devil's never created a pleasure ever. 
in all the thousands of years down in his workshop, mixing stuff together. He's never been able to come up with pleasure because that's copyright and patented only by God. Food, sunsets, friends, sex and marriage. There's all these amazing pleasures that God has created and all the devil can do is pervert and twist those pleasures, but he can't make new ones. I want to follow the guy that made the pleasure in the first place because in his context, it's going to be fully available and actualized in a way that won't leave my soul hurt and broken the morning after or the moment after. I trust him with my body. If we're going to shine his light, we need to let God take over our hearts. Out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouth speaks. Where our treasure is, our heart will follow. We don't even get to pick where our hearts go. All we get to pick is where our treasure goes. And then it's like a magnet. And the metal always is going to be drawn to the magnet. All we can do is place our treasure somewhere that lasts and our heart will follow there. And with our bodies, the Bible says we're not our own. When we sign up to follow Jesus, we're signing a contract that's blank on the bottom and he gets to fill in all the details. That's a lot of trust. Would anybody do that with their employer? I'd want to read it first. But with Jesus, I trust him. I'm going to sign on the bottom and he gets to decide the way that my life and relationships should be used because he has my best interest at heart even more than I ever could. Now, Pastor John told me not to preach a minute over two hours, so I'm doing really well. But I do want to give you a moment. That was a joke, by the way. Uh, if, if, I, if we can just take one more moment, I want to let you just sit with this passage for a minute. Is there an area of your life or my life where the Holy Spirit speaking through this passage, through the risen Christ speaking through me to you, Jesus lives in you if you're a believer already, can you hear his voice saying, wake up, it's time to get up. It's time to look different. It's time to separate yourself and shine a little brighter. If we're a group of people where everyone shines brightly with the light of Christ, we give each other permission to shine brightly. We're not intimidated or threatened by others because I can be the full version of Nate Landis that God's called me to be. You can be the full version that God's called you to be. And together, like stars in the darkness, the Bible says we shine brightly because this world's getting darker and darker and colder and colder. And without light, there is no hope and no life. If the sun doesn't come up, we're all dead. The clock's ticking. Photosynthesis stops. Food sources stop. Whether you're a carnivore or a vegetarian, your food is in jeopardy the minute the sun doesn't come up. Jesus is the light of the world, and he wants to shine on us and bring his light. Do we trust him with all that we have? That is the question. We need more people shining the light of Christ because otherwise there's no way to find life. There's no way to find light. And he's strategically put you in a neighborhood, in a community, in a family, and in a business. Maybe there's an online community or a text group that you're in, and you have the opportunity to shine in the darkness. I want to give you a moment. If you don't know Christ, this could be your day to say, I'm waking up from the dead. And if you already know Christ, it might be a moment, and I need this every day too, to say, there's a part of me that wants to be more awake. There's a part of me that doesn't want to hit snooze as often. I, I want to be, uh, I want to stand out from, I don't want to look like all the other dead people. I want to be clearly alive in Christ. I'm going to be bold. And even if I'm persecuted for the contrast, I'm going to live that way because the world needs more light. Anybody 
that's made visible because of Christ becomes light in their community. That's what we read this morning. There's power in living out this gospel. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. If you're able and willing, please remain standing for our charge to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. And not just to look in the mirror at the beginning of the day and then to walk off and forget who we are. This whole book of Ephesians is about who we are in Christ and what do we do about that. That's our opportunity to live it out. Salt and light always wins. That's the good news of the gospel. Every time you put salt on meat, the meat always gets saltier. The salt never gets meatier. Every time you turn on the light, the darkness has no choice but to flee. Sometimes the best response to darkness is just shine the light. I don't have to scream at the darkness all the time. I can just turn on a light. That takes care of it. And then you forget that it was ever dark when the lights go on. It might be easy to lose hope with our world as it gets darker and darker. I studied ethics in my PhD work at Claremont Graduate University, and people ask me, why does a loving God let bad stuff happen? Why are there tsunamis and earthquakes and wars and poverty and famine? Why is Justin Timberlake allowed to sing at Super Bowls? All these ethical questions that come up when you look at the world. And why is there kids that are hungrier and kids that don't know Jesus? And, and Jesus, I believe, is putting those questions in our heart because he wants us to ask ourselves those same questions. If the loving God, the light of Christ is shining through us, why are we allowing all these things to happen? Because we have the light. We have the power to make the darkness go away. All we have to do is turn it on and shine. All we have to do is use the power that we've been given and this world will be different. When it's dark and cold, I want to remind you that it's always darkest and coldest right before the dawn. My hands hurt the worst right before the sun comes up. The darker it gets is just God saying there's an opportunity to shine the light. The darker it gets, the more bright the light will be, the more powerful and impactful it will be if we use the power that God has given us. He wants to make us visible. He wants us to shine in the darkness. And when we do that, other people will be able to be drawn to the light. Doesn't that happen when the lights are on? It draws living things. Go camping, turn on a light. Life gathers around the light. Sometimes it gets zapped and killed, but when, when we bring people to the light, they come and be transformed. Their sin dies, but they get transformed in Christ forever. The light is attractive. It draws people. Let's go forth and be people of light. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, for Christ to shine, shine on you so that Christ can shine through you.